welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from TrainingIndustry.com. Hello and welcome to the Business of Learning, the Training Industry Podcast. I'm Scott Rutherford, Director of Marketing at TrainingIndustry.com. And I'm Taryn Aish, Editor at TrainingIndustry.com. The learner experience has become a bit of an industry buzzword coming to us from the software development industry's concept of the user experience or UX. But what does it really mean to provide a good learner experience? And not just what does it mean, but then how do we go about creating a good learner experience? And importantly, how do we know what's good? So to dig into this topic today, we have two industry thought leaders. I'm pleased to introduce them. First, Sam Herring is Vice President and General Manager of Intrepid by Vitalsource. Hi, Sam. Hello. And Tom, Dr. Tom Tonkin, excuse me, is Principal of Thought Leadership and Advisory Services at Cornerstone On Demand. Hi, Tom. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. And we'll get that conversation started in just a minute after this. The Certified Professional in Training Management Credential, or CPTM, was designed to convey the essential competencies you need to manage a training organization. When you become a CPTM, you gain access to alumni resources like monthly peer roundtables and a full registration to the Training Industry Conference and Expo. If you start today, you can earn the CPTM credential in as little as two months. To learn more, visit cptm.trainingindustry.com. So let's start with the basics here. When we talk about learner experience, what do we mean? How would you describe it? Uh, Sam, let's begin with you. Sure, thanks. You know, I think the, the real change here is about putting the learner at the center of the overall learning experience. In the past, with technology-enabled learning, we've really focused on the delivery of content uh, to, to an audience. And now we're, we're really re-envisioning uh, how people interact with content, the, the span of their learning journey over time. We think about application and concepts like action learning that have been with us for some time, but we think, think of that digitally. We think of how learning, learning is amplified in the experience with peers, uh, with experts, with instructors. Um, and we, we also think about the personalization of learning uh, to that, that learner's individual experience. In other words, create, we're bringing the learner's context to the content. That makes sense. Tom, would you have anything to add to that? I think the conversation is really going to revolve around a parallel notion that the learner is really the customer. And much of the the nomenclature that we're going to borrow from customer experience will, will fall in line with what we'll be talking about, learner experience. I hesitate to call the learner experience a buzzword because that makes it sound like, you know, it's a not necessarily here to stay, and I think, you know, it might be, but uh, for lack of a better word, such a popular buzzword is probably misused a lot. Um, so what are some common myths about the learner experience? You know, one of the, one of the things uh, that I think is a, is, is a misunderstanding is that content um, is at the center, and content is most important, <laughs> and then sometimes that content needs to be of professional quality, um, and it, it really doesn't. Uh, we find that oftentimes authenticity increases with uh, with uh, low production value, quick production value content, say uh, content that's captured in the field, you know, from someone who's widely regarded as an expert, uh, subject subject matter expert. Um, we learn, of course, we learn by video, by, by YouTube. This past weekend, I had to take take down our my kids' trampoline, and uh, I, I had I was really struggling with how to 
how to get apart, take apart these springs that, without damaging myself. And sure enough, in, with a YouTube video that was produced by a guy in his backyard in Minnesota somewhere, uh, I, I was able to become an expert on this in a matter of minutes. So, so thinking about uh, production, production value is really about the expertise and the credibility and uh, where that expertise comes from. So yeah, obviously, if the content isn't on point, then nothing else matters, arguably. Um, but uh, how it's presented, uh, also, it's, it's more about uh, the presentation just not being an obstacle to that, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and, uh, and making it, uh, of course, the, the, the example I said of video is kind of having it be uh, another aspect of this is making it easily accessible uh, to the learner, not having to make them pound through you know, multiple clicks in a system or break the context of, of their overall learning flow or their workflow to go find something. We've all had that very frustrating experience, but making it incredibly easy to access at, at the moment of need. So what are some best practices then if uh, if if obviously I think our audience is, is uh, familiar with uh, designing learning experiences probably broadly, a um, little bit of a self-selection uh, <laughs> dynamic that happens with this podcast, I think. Um, but uh, what are best practices then to, to, to design a learner experience that's outstanding? Uh, Tom, would you want to take the lead on that one? Yeah, I will. The as I mentioned earlier about the paradigm that we'll sort of borrow from customer service to learning experience or, or, or customer experience, learning experience is not much different. I, I think, first of all, Sam hit it uh, on the head here earlier when he talks about putting the learner in the center. Uh, up until now, we've had content and, and functionality and process be the center of, a, of much, much of our design. In this case, some of the best practices in the learner experience world is really borrowing from what is going on in other aspects of, of technology. For example, design learning, I'm um, sorry, design learning, design thinking is, is very prevalent now, which has an empathetic view in anything that you design. The fact that we're talking about empathy in, in, a, in a design thinking paradigm suggests that, again, the person, the learner, the customer, whatever, is in the center of the process. And so the, to design a good learning experience, you could borrow directly from design thinking that's been around for some time that, that came to us uh, from product development. So I would say that that's one, one of the best practices that we can employ here. So in practice, I mean, have you, could you give me an example of where you've seen that work effectively? The one way that I see, again, I'm going to borrow from design thinking and look at things like uh, the customer journey map. Okay. So in that particular area, you'd look at, again, the customer experience and you, you follow, you would follow a customer and see how they're journeying through your process. In this case, a learning experience, you know, how do I sit down? How do I log in? How am I consuming, uh, this, the speed of the content, uh, is the content on point? Is it short enough? Does it, is it relevant like Sam's uh, uh, trampoline experience that he needed it on time at that moment uh, to get work done? And as we traverse all of these different areas, are we soliciting back uh, the sentiment of the learner in each of these points? I would suggest that if you are looking at an entire experience, now I'm going to abstract that to a higher level, whether it be a learning experience or some customer experience, usually you have a set of 
touch points that you have. For example, maybe there's 30 different touch points uh, in the system, you know, where you're actually logging in or you're, you're creating content, whatever you're doing. It only takes two or three bad touch points to really color the sentiment of that experience. And that's the good news and the bad news. I mean, the bad news is at only two points, but the good news is you only have to fix two points to get it to be a good uh, learner experience. Yeah, the core of all of that is is you know sort of the, the iterative you know constant. If you're if we're applying the design thinking model, it's it's it uh, data and measurement and uh, uh, and cycling through that is is sort of core to that thought process. So um, it, when we're talking about uh, it, a good learner experience, we're to, um, how do you identify what's important to measure um, so you can be focusing and iterating on the right things. Uh, yeah, no, terrific. It was, it's funny you asked that. We were just having a conversation on our management team meeting just now on this very, very topic. And you know, some, some of the things are, uh, you know, motherhood and apple pie, you start with your business measures, of course. And the whole point of why you're, you're creating a learner experience to begin with uh, presumably has, has to do with, uh, with achieving some kind of performance objective for the business. So it always is going to start there. Um, whether that's um, you know revenue up for for a sales uh, organization or close rate or uh, shortening a cycle time for onboarding, so so that that is not new um, for for uh, digital learning experiences that we have uh, today. But that is the place to start. Then the question is, what is the access to the experiential learner data tell you about that? And that's where things get really exciting because in the old models of digital learning, we had completion and test scores, yeah. right? And yeah. today, now we have this incredibly rich set of behavioral analytics that we, that we can make sense of. So, you know, what, what, what videos were, were consumed? What was the, how, how, what percentage of that was consumed? Uh, what, how, how are people pro progressing through an, an open learning um, uh, pathway? What badges have they collected? Uh, how many likes are, are you getting on content? Uh, what kind of discussion, uh, what kind of questions are really eliciting a lot of discussions and discussion boards? Are people finishing their assignments? What kind of feedback are they getting? I mean, I can go on and on and on, but, but you get a sense that this is like way richer than, than your traditional uh, self-paced e-learning or even your synchronous e-learning where you just don't have the number of data points that you can, you can, uh, you can link back to. So when you, the power is when you can marry up that engagement data with the business data so, uh, in, in some real BI tools, then some real, the real magic starts to, starts to come alive and you start to be able to see why and how you're moving the, the performance needle and what levers you can pull on the, on the learning experience to improve the outcomes on your performance and business data. Uh, now, you both represent um, companies with, uh, with learning platforms and, um, and you know, we, we hear a lot about learning experience platforms. So, uh, what what exactly is a learning experience platform, and and how is it different from you know more traditional platforms that we're used to seeing? This is Tom. I, I I'll I'll get this going. Uh, so I'm just going to borrow from what Sam just said. In the in the past, right, we were more concerned about completion criteria and consumption numbers and loads. Lends itself very much to a management system, and and so. If those are the metrics you believe at the time, which, by the way, there's value in them. I don't want to diminish them, but there's value in those. But if those are the metrics you believe in, then you need a systematic way of collecting them, hence the LMS. 
Sam then mentioned other types of metrics that we're moving into, you know, the likes, uh, the sentiment that goes with the consumption, the, the effectiveness of the just-in-time learning. New set of metrics right, require a new platform to support it. So the LMS and those metrics don't necessarily go away. Uh, they're supportive of that. But we see the learning experience platform sort of sit on top of that, that now support these new, more modern, more business-oriented metrics. Yeah, and, and to, uh, to build on uh, what Tom said, which I completely agree with, um, we, we see the traditional learning systems as the place that the learner goes to, to get to the learning experience. So um, you traditionally register for or find um, a, a learning program through your LMS, but you, you aren't learning in the LMS. It's getting you to the point of learning, wherever that may be. Self-paced learning, what, uh, you know, virtual classroom session, or a digital, more robust digital learning experience. Within the, the learning experience layer, um, we see different types and different specializations of, of applications. So you may see uh, applications that focus on uh, helping learners find um, learning in or outside their organization at the moment of moment of need, depending on what their interests or uh, either immediate or career interests are. Um, and then there, what, what we focus on at Intrepid is um, the, the the creation and delivery of rich learning programs. So think of collaborative, cohort-driven learning experiences that allow for a deeply engaging learning experience at scale. And of course, there are other flavors of, uh, of platforms in that learning experience uh, layer, all of which are, at the end of the day, like Tom and I have been talking about, focusing on the learner first and bringing that, uh, that consumer-grade uh, uh, digital, uh, digital experience to learning. All right. So uh, assuming that, you know, an organization's taken all that into consideration and has decided, you know, a learning experience platform, this type of platform is what we want for our organization. Uh, what questions should they ask uh, vendors and potential partners when they're uh, when they're picking a platform? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I, I, I think um, one of the first things is that the the orientation of the platform as it pertains to the learner. I I, I have a it goes back to something, Taryn, that you said earlier about this being a buzzword, right? So so our job here is to snatch. <laughs> learning experience away from the jaws of buzzword land <laughs> and save it um, because it could slip into that. And what happens with buzzwords, you end up adding all sorts of traits and characteristics and make it a stereotypical buzzword that just is not true um, in the sense of things like micro learning. There's, a, you know, that's another new buzzword that's going on out there and it, it's getting loaded up with, with uh, some truths and some half truths. I think the one of the things that I would suggest um, at looking at a platform is num number one: is it really learner centric? As we've mentioned, you could see where the theme of this conversation is. I think the other aspect of the ex of the learner experience and where it was born is we kind of want to look at a little bit of the history of what benefit it brings. Anybody who's been in the learning world for any amount of time and certainly has learning research would understand that probably the best way to teach anybody anything is if you were able to connect it to something that they already know. 
they, it's clear and it's faster for absorption. We can get into the neuroscience of it, but I won't. Basically, it's if I can if I can piggyback off of something you already know, can I can I have that adoption rate go much much faster? For example, if I were to try to describe to you what a zebra was, I would say something like, "What's a horse with vertical black and white stripes?" And you'd say, okay, well, I know what a horse is and I know what black and white stripes are, so I can envision what that is. As opposed if I were to, to, to describe it, with, well, it's a four-legged mammal that's got ears and it's got, right? You start getting a real complex and you have to sort of start from scratch. Uh, same thing here with the learning experience. The reason learning experiences are, are getting so much traction, it's because how do we consume content that's outside the workplace. Like, for example, Netflix and some of these other content-consuming experiences, if you will. If I go home and I am able to browse or choose movies, videos that I want to watch uh, on Netflix or any of these types of uh, applications, why do I have to go back to work and learn some other paradigm? Shouldn't it be easier if I could just have that similar experience? Therefore, my adoption rate would go would, would increase, my, my uh, learning curve would decrease. And so what is the paradigm, right, that, that we're looking at to be able to increase that adoption of, of use? Great. Sam, anything to add there? Um, yeah, I would, I would say three things. Uh, first, I would say, you know, what is the DNA of, this, uh, of, the, of the providers you're, you're considering? Um, it's no, it's no, uh, no secret that there's an enormous amount of uh, capital going into the space right now. I just read some data uh, that said that uh, 2017, there were over $9 billion invested in learning technology worldwide. So there's a lot of new entrants, you know, some coming in from academic uh, backgrounds and so on. So really think about what's the DNA of this, of this uh, organization. Do they have experience serving your audience of adults? Corporate, corporate learners, because that, that really flows through a lot of the um, capabilities that that organization is going to have. I mean, second, from a product perspective, as we've been talking about, Tom, I've been talking about, what is, what is the, the ease and elegance of that learner experience? And equally, what is that experience for the administrator, the author? Can they easily create uh, these experiences um, in, in the platform? And then finally, I would also, I wouldn't underestimate the power of a strong uh, partner to, with services. Um, can they, can, do they have strong enablement services? Can they help you actually get programs up and built and off, off the ground and launched? Because what we often see is it's more than just configuration and teaching. What customers are really looking for who are new to learning experience platforms, irrespective of what the platform is, they're looking to for a new way to design for the modern learner. It's like going from analog to digital. And so they're looking for, uh, customers are often looking for a partner who can be that guide and, and help them at a higher level of value than the platform per se. It's really helping them go modern and who has that experience. And uh, uh, you really need to be looking for that from, our, from what we've seen. 
Yeah, chasing that thought just for a second, actually, because uh, I was uh, going to uh, steer us in the direction of, well, if we're in agreement, I think we're probably in violent agreement that uh, improving the, the learner experience is something that we want to pursue. Um, but uh, the the uh, the sort of the care and support of the administrator of the learning professional uh, is of course key to that. So, and, and you sort of reference Sam. I think you sort of got the uh, reference in this direction a second ago. Uh, what sort of uh, scaffolding or support or skills or training um, does the learning manager need in order to deliver a stronger learner experience? Is that building on, you know, sort of core skills of instructional design and uh, becoming more of a data scientist or, or what's, what's, you know, what's needed to get from where maybe we, <laughs> we collectively have been to where we should be moving? Uh, sure, I can I can get that started. Um, uh, it's good. It's a great question and one we one we think about a lot. You know, we're actually building a, a certification program right now and, and really really grappling with that uh, not only from product specifics but again as I was mentioning from that overall design uh, per perspective. But I think it, there are there are absolutely new disciplines that need to be considered here. Um, we we look for people with um, with. Uh, you know, on our own team, in, in fact, with strong uh, user user experience uh, background, strong design thinking background, like uh, like Tom Tom mentioned, strong empathy for for the um, for, for the for the learner and and, and the end user, um, strong data orientation. Um, uh, we we don't you know sometimes it's a there's a there's a bit of uh, unlearning that needs to happen for from the, uh, the, the traditional linear approaches to, you know, ad driven approaches to, to, uh, to learning. So, so um, it, it's much more akin to uh, agile, uh, agile processes and software development than waterfall. And so I think learning has often been much more of a waterfall exercise uh, coming out of the, the ADI uh, type, types of models. So, so underneath all that, these behaviors of uh, curiosity of, uh, Willingness to, to to try totally new things um, and versus uh, versus you know obviously behaviors like rigidity and I've done this before and there's one way to do it <laughs> you know so that, that kind of that kind of openness uh, understanding of of, power, of social networks um, so these are all aspects that people need to learn and, and be be part of it what we find is our, our our most successful customers are those that come in wanting to disrupt wanting to try things new, questioning the, the status quo, uh, wanting to put their mark on, on something that is new and different uh, and that, uh, that are not uh, bound to uh, you know, the way things have always been done. Tom, would you like to jump in on that uh, question? Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to be a little controversial on this one. <clears throat> I, if, if we're all in, in violent agreement of this is the right thing to pursue, would we also be in violent agreement that this is here to stay like we're not going to go back like this isn't a fad or this isn't a period in time we believe that the experience will then develop potentially into a better bigger and then maybe something else in the future if that's the case then i would challenge the the organizational concept of a learning manager is a learning manager uh, no longer needed or should we start looking at learning experience developers, very similar to some of the jobs that are changing in other industries. Um, for example, if you go to Amazon and they're looking for a culinary uh, engineer, right? Somebody that can take 
meals, but package them in such a way that they can be shipped. Um, so there's this morphing of jobs. I, I think that the training and development world uh, is going through that same transition where I think the training and development professionals have to also morph into their jobs. And some of those skills will be more traditional experience uh, skills, very similar to my, what you might uh, see in an e-commerce situation or, excuse me, or uh, in a, in a workflow of some kind. So, so we all, I, I, I am going to borrow a little bit from what's happening in, in learning in general by saying learning used to be sort of this side activity, right? Where you would say, okay, I'm going to do my job and then I'm going to go and learn something and then I come back and do my job. Well, we, we're seeing that morph where learning is actually happening in the workflow. Like, uh, again, I go back to, to Sam's trampoline uh, ex exercise he did. Imagine if that was his job, right? How would I then go about saying, well, I'm in the middle of doing something. How do I then incorporate learning in just in time in my workflow? So now learning managers or learning experience managers, whatever that next uh, support staff will look like, will have to have those skills as to how do I merge knowledge worker, creative empathy, empath empathetic type of people um, to be able to actually merge the learning and the work into one big workflow. Yeah, and to have the learning happen where, in, in, in where it's needed. And in, in, in it, it does speak to sort of the blurring of the lines between, you know, formal learning versus social versus informal. If we, if we get back, if we sort of invoke 702010 here for a second. Agreed. Uh, and and uh, it, 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 what we're talking about uh, is also thematically aligned with uh, some of the uh, thinking we've had here at Training Industry about the the shifting of those lines and saying, well, um, really formal learning actually becomes more important in the mix as those formal learning moments, I guess in theory, get chunked down to be closer to the moment of need. Another way perhaps to spin what you were saying. Yeah, I agreed. I, I'll, let me add a little more to it. So I guess I think it was about three years ago we had um, Josh Burnsurbers by Deloitte give us that infographic where they went and did some surveys and they figured out that only 1% right of our day is spent on learning, which again is going back, uh, Scott, to your point about formal versus informal, that 1% was categorized as formal, meaning I walk away from my job and I do whatever. But you think of 1% and then let's say you work an average of 40 hours, which none of us really do nowadays, but let's just go with that. That's about that's 4.8 minutes a day uh, to do that. Now that that sounds ridiculous uh, when you put it that way. 24 minutes a, a week, um, but yet, right? There's this emphasis that says, "Well, now how can I fit, you know, learning in that in that 4.8 minutes?" Well, arguably, the other side of that coin says, "Well, maybe there's a prioritization problem there." that suggests maybe we need to make that more of a priority learning. And second, something you just said, maybe some of the learning is actually being accounted for in the workflow itself. Um, and I think sometimes when you ask people about learning, they don't consider that learning mean going through the work of the workflow, but yet you know, they are. Right. And at the end of the day, that integration, that closeness between the learning and the performance of the job, uh, I, I guess to sort of, close the loop on the controversial uh, angle here. Um, that's what makes the, the, the uh, training manager 
still important, right? Because, Correct. Yes. Uh, we're still uh, we're still tasked with making sure that systemically that design happens in a way that learning affects performance outcomes. Agreed. Yeah, I think, and this is Sam. I think um, you know it's it's important to be to be to be thoughtful about about all the, the kind of the full spectrum of, of learning that happens. And I, I think uh, we, we think about uh, Bob Mosher and uh, Conrad Goffinson's uh, work in Five Moments of Need. You know, we are, so so there are, I think oftentimes we kind of default to, you know, admittedly my example with YouTube, which is kind of like, I need something quick, right? But, but we think about there are different ways that we support learners when they're learning something for the first time versus when they're, you know, in that the moment of that performance support versus when they want to go deeper to become an expert versus when something has changed in the process. So I think uh, sometimes I, I feel like we get, uh, there are conversations, not this conversation, that can get somewhat facile about digital learning uh, and about how everything is performance support, everything is a YouTube video, everything's a Google, uh, Google search. And of course, that's not the case. We don't, we, we don't develop mastery over a domain of, of, of complex work. We don't become, uh, you know, a, a, a leader who, who leads leaders by watching a YouTube video, right? So, so I think there's, there's some precision that needs to be injected into the conversation about, uh, about the role that learning manager to, to oversee that, that, uh, that architecture of learning that happens in the organization and to help and foster the learning moments that happen, um, to meet those variety of of learning needs in the organization. So in other words, uh, you were able to to do what you needed to do with the trampoline, but I shouldn't come to you for all my trampoline needs. (laughs) I'm not a trampoline expert. (laughs) I think think this is going to stick, Sam. I'm sorry. Yeah, please don't, please don't come. We decided not to give away, even give away the trampoline because I did more research and learning that says like, you may still be liable for that trampoline if it gets out of the next user. So <laughs> yeah, exactly, Taryn. All right, well, uh, Sam, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I do want to give you uh, one last uh, moment to share any final thoughts that you have with us before we wrap up. Yeah, um, this is Sam. I, I'll just say, you know, what I like to say a lot on, on these conversations on the topic is um, as people are, are kind of sticking their foot in the water, um, you know, go big, go bold, try some new things. Um, uh, take, take one of your biggest, thorniest uh, challenges, you know, a global learning challenge, uh, a high scale learning challenge, a high stakes learning challenge, and try some new things. Um, that's where we really see organizations being successful and, and, and moving the needle, you know, like life's too short for, uh, you know, for kind of small ball, uh, tests and pilots and so on. And it's, uh, it's, uh, testing smart, testing big, uh, well that, that's where we've really seen organizations move the needle with learn, new learning experience approaches. Yeah, this is Tom. I, I, I guess I live my life by quotes and, uh, just to guide my ways. And, and this is a, this is one that I like to finish out with, uh, yes, learning experiences is something that's different. And so, um, but I would challenge everybody very similar to what Sam says. I always say different isn't always better, but better is always different. And if you're shooting for better, you're going to, you're going to have something to do that's different. So, um, best of luck to everybody out there on that. Thanks for your thoughts. Enjoyed having you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
hopefully we've rescued the learner experience from the buzzword fate today. I'd like to thank our guests again, Tom Tonkin of Cornerstone On Demand and Sam Herring of Intrepid by Vital Source. You can find more information on this topic by searching for learner experience on trainingindustry.com. And of course, you can find more episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or by searching for podcasts on our website. Thanks for listening. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.